When I first started in business, just having a business was an achievement in itself. But in the 21st century, business growth is the buzzword at all the best business events. Everyone has a secret or not-so-secret formula for achieving that growth. In fact, our next guest, Martin Riley, founder of the Business Jet Engine and author of the Business Jet Engine book, is a business expert who helps entrepreneurs and business owners manage and grow their businesses in the most efficient way by following the Business Jet Engine model that he designed. If you want to know more about Martin and how he can help propel your business to new heights, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. Hello, Martin, and welcome to the Cashflow Show. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. You're most welcome. So what we usually do at the beginning of any cash flow show is really to find out a bit more about you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your business. I'm Martin Riley. I'm a business and leadership coach, author of The Business Jet Engine. And I essentially do a few things. In the business coaching, the mainstay is working face-to-face with small business owners or their team. Typically, they've got businesses that are kind of three to 10 people and really helping them get their business on track. Because so often, they're great at what they do, they're just not expert in business. I also then work with larger organizations who want facilitation getting their team involved in planning process. So they feel like they have understood, have got engaged, and, and own the business plan, the priorities going forward. And then there's all this of the leadership development in those larger organizations. Once they've got the plan, it needs people to put those into action. Then the the other thing which I'm passionate about at the moment is I'm building an online membership for small business owners, the people who would love business coaching, but it's hard to afford it. And so I've got a highly accessible, highly affordable online membership that shows them the business jet engine process and helps them put that in place to get that business really on track and and flying, getting them flying. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Excellent. And I'll come back to the name as we go on through our discussion. But what I wanted to know was, is this your first business? <laughs> Not at all. Um, my first career was in product design. Ah. And when I graduated, I set up with a college friend and we started our own design firm called Form Foundry. And uh, yeah, I spent a year and a half developing that with him and decided, although at the time I thought I probably knew enough about business, which is a complete joke looking back, um, I realized I didn't, I didn't actually know enough about design and felt going to London and working in some of the big consultancies was a, a much faster way of really honing my, my trade. Um, but I, like I say, I was rather arrogant thinking I've got consultancy understood. That's quite easy. <laughs> so that, that's where I started in the middle of my career when I kind of, I, I loved product design, absolutely loved it. And I designed all sorts of things. Um, and I can, 
tentatively say I probably set a global trend in toothbrush design. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you remember when most handheld toothbrushes were straight. Yes. They were straight handheld. And then I, I was freelancing and for a packaging company, they were working on a toothbrush pack and they told the company, I'm not going to mention the client. Well, actually I will. It was Sensodyne. They suggested that their brush was was falling behind and there were more advanced, more exciting brushes coming out. So we were commissioned to to redesign the brush. And and that's when we came up with this wavy handle toothbrush. And I think that was probably the first and seems to have set a global trend because they're all wavy handle shaped now where they're longer, more ergonomic. So anyway, from product design, I got absolutely hooked on personal development. You know, this is the big names, Stephen Covey, Dale Carnegie, Tony Robbins, all of those. And I got absolutely hooked on the subject. And I got into design because I wanted to try and improve the quality of people's lives by making better products, better tools. But I kind of didn't feel I was having the impact I wanted to. And I morphed into sort of this personal development. And, and so I came up with an idea of mental attitude training for kids. And that was all about using sports psychology, particularly applied to football, because we thought, how do we get to the biggest audience? Well, a lot of kids love and play football. And this is a great way to get them involved in personal development. And we created a product, did our market research. We went around different cities, spoke to, to you know, kids and men of all ages who played football, who absolutely loved it. But we took it to market and it completely bombed because we totally underestimated what it took to actually get the product to market, to, to join up that link of the marketing and the sales or even getting it in the shops. We didn't think that through. I was a product designer. I knew products. And that's when I realized I really didn't understand business. And being rather heavily in debt at the end of that, that's when I licked my wounds, went and worked for a leadership uh, coach in central London. We work with big names um, such as the BBC, Saatchi and Saatchi, helping him research, design and develop his leadership material. And it was a very short step into me actually doing the coaching as well with some pretty big name clients. And that's where I then sort of evolved from there into having my own business and leadership coaching business. And it was really there that I honed my skill and developed the the whole business jet engine approach. So it's been a, you know, it's been a long path. That's a sort of 30, 40 year path. What's fascinating about it is the things that you've touched on. And the fact is that you've learned from those mistakes along the way. I mean, you've done something fantastic in terms of the toothbrush thing, because let's put it this way. You, there was a point when toothbrushes all looked completely flat and exactly the same. And rather short. <laughs> yeah, and rather and rather short. That was very true. And now, as you said, you changed that ergonomic, been the trend and stuck continuously. But you also mentioned another thing in relation to sport. We had a recent guest on the show called Steve Mills of stevemills.com. Oh, well, his defining career path was because he was a, a championship table tennis player. Right. And effectively how he used the skills as being a sportsman in order to then pursue his business goals and career goals in respect of that. So there's always this link, very loose link, sometimes stronger than others, between sport and business. And the fact is how you acknowledge that sometimes bringing those two things together isn't the easiest thing at all. Well, it's all about goal attainment, isn't it? And literally in football, it's about goal. <laughs> but, you know, we're always focused on an end result. And it's why the military are linked in as well. What do the military do to achieve their end game? What do sports people do to achieve their end game? What do business people do to achieve their end game? And the mindset, the way of thinking 
even though the practicalities are different you know there are so many parallels and 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 i'm a huge believer particularly as a designer in learning from other disciplines because for me all innovation occurs when you have the collision of two disciplines the intersect if you imagine two circles that come together where they overlap that's where you get fusion that's where you get innovation like we were talking earlier about jazz funk yeah you know jazz and funk put together you get jazz funk you know and and so i love taking ideas thoughts from one area bringing them together with another area so i brought design and business coaching together and that's what's given me the skill to create something innovative in the business jet engine so i i love how we can bring ideas from different different disciplines and you mentioned earlier as well about people like tony robbins uh, and other sort of business innovators business leaders but obviously coaching stars for want of a better expression yes yeah can you think of the top of your head of other people or business people that have influenced you i have read so many books and particularly during the period i was doing the, the research into leadership and because we were working with you know top executives in big firms you know we were looking a lot at strategy and and all the principles of business too um so i've read so many books there's so many amazing books i think i highlighted um you know just a couple of the key ones that that i've learned from most one of the the starting ones was i'm not quite sure the pronunciation um but it's smart things to know about strategy by by richard Koch, i think is the or oh I'm not quite sure the pronunciation but that really woke me up to a couple of really great ideas what were the 8020 rule he really simplified business strategy down so that was a huge learning curve for me and then there were books like uh, the fifth discipline by peter senge or peter sengate and that introduced the idea of systems thinking and as a designer i love the idea that things have a order and sequence that things are laid out in a particular fashion and have a knock on effect not everything is a list or a or a scorecard where you you know you may score things but they all seem to have equal weighting so those things influence me hugely so i'm always learning from books there's hundreds of of mentors but no one big one i would say okay you know they all feed into to what i've learned over over the years what led you to form the business jet engine as a designer it's always about what's the need what's the problem that we're really trying to solve and what i noticed after working with the big organizations and then i decided to stop working in london out of choice i got bored of a commute and decided to work more locally there's there's a lot more small businesses i got involved with helping them and realized although i was coming in to work on their leadership skills their strategy and leadership is all about fulfilling the strategy i would say so what's the strategy what's the end game and they didn't really have a clear strategy what i realized they were great at what they could do at their skill but not great at business and they didn't have so many of the fundamentals of business in place and as i worked with them i realized as they developed and progressed the areas of business they realized they did need to get in place and that's a that's a whole story i can lay out for you at some point if relevant but i realized they were on a journey and there was a common journey of the things they realized they needed so i i realized that and i thought but i need to lay this out in a in a simple diagram or format so business owners can see this quickly i'm always trying to give people the picture on the jigsaw box so you get the big picture and then when you learn things you know where they go or it's like having a map so you know where you are on the map and then you get a new piece of information you can go right well let me build that information into the map but i know where on the map it sits so it speak it makes people responsible for their own learning but it puts them in control which is i'm always trying to give people tools so they don't need me so they can be uh responsible and own their own progress so really i was looking for how do i 
create a simple metaphor that explains this journey that business owners go on. And then they can see their business as a system. That was the end game. How do I help them see their business as a system to know what to fix, change, or improve, or implement next? You know, one, two, three high-impact strategic priorities to get in place each year that move the business on by huge leaps and bounds, not just small incremental change that never keeps quite keeps up with the rate of change in the world. But that was the end objective. How do I find something that explains this? And finally, after quite a few different trial and error iterations, I sort of landed on this simple metaphor that grew. And the more I added to it and developed it, it didn't fall apart. Because that's always the test as a designer. You know, when's this going to work? And when's this going to fail? And I couldn't <laughs> knock it over. I kept adding bits and my clients couldn't knock it over. And I showed it to, you know, business people I respected and got them to try get got them to try and knock it over. And um it stood up every time. So that's that's the one that that lasted and became what it is now. You mentioned systems. Yes. And I wanted to know why are we so afraid of systems and why do we refuse to embrace them? Because they can be far harder to think about than a list. You've actually got to understand the cause and effect relationships, that one thing affects another and there's a disproportion. Not everything is equal and it forces us to think harder. But when you see a simple system, you know, when it's laid out clearly enough, and that's the thing I love about the jet engine, is most business owners quite quickly start to get their head around the cause and effect relationships. And so I, I don't know if you'd like me just to, so it's less abstract, just quickly explain what the, the system is. Yes, please. Because it then kind of, you know, puts the flesh on the bones. So the simple journey is most business owners, when they start, they know they've got a gist of business. They're, they've normally been involved in working for other firms like I had as a designer. And, and most people know, first, you've got to have a, a problem you solve for your client, and that's your product or service. We all get we've got to have a problem, product or service. Then we've got to look after our customers. We've got to have good customer service, hopefully. And then we've got to have our operations, which is how we efficiently and effectively deliver that product or service. So that's kind of at the heart of business. So this started off as the heart of my jet engine. Right. This is the engine for the aircraft. And most people know they need that, and, and they start off, and normally they've brought some friends, some contacts, some industry contacts have said, yes, I'll work with you if you go to loan or if you set up your business. We like your product, your idea, we'll buy it. And they're really busy for three, six, nine months thinking this is the best thing I've ever done. But they assume their business is going to take off through word of mouth, going to take off like wildfire. And it doesn't. And there's that, which it does just occasionally. You've got, you know, but, but there's, there's a whole another story behind that, why that can happen. But for most people, that isn't the case. And they realize there's this dirty thing called sales and marketing that all those rubbish businesses have to get involved. And this is like they've got an engine, but no air coming in. So the sales and marketing cycle is, is getting the air in the engine. So you have to have the marketing to attract the lead. Then you've got to convert those inquiries. That's your sales. Out the back of the engine, you have, you have the air coming out, which is happy customers. You've got to have happy customers. Then there's a feedback loop. You've got to get customer feedback to know what you're getting right or wrong. That helps you remarket back to your existing customers, which is a smart move. And some gurus say 60% of your marketing should be back to existing customers if you have enough of the right customers. And that's like a supercharger, which boosts growth, but also that feedback helps improve your future marketing for new customers. And then you need long-term market intelligence. So that's the air in the engine. Then our business owner, typically in the story, they've worked really hard for two or three years, got much better at sales and marketing. They're really busy now, lots of work. And then their accountant says, you've made X profit. Here's the tax you owe. And they go, but I've got no money in the bank. 
I've been working so hard. Where's all that profit? I've now got to pay the corporation tax for. And that's when they realize they've got to get really serious about the finances. And the finances are like the fuel. You've got to get the air to fuel mix right. So coming into the engine, that's pricing, getting your pricing right. And also my understanding of your line of business, it's also about the credit control. Correct. You've got to have the pricing right. But if you're not managing credit control, you also don't have money in the out of the back of the engine. Also, for some businesses, a dirty word, the exhaust gases, you get the exhaust out the back, but it's essential. Those exhaust gases can also be used to turbocharge the engine, the most efficient engines. So that's like using your profits to boost growth. And all of that you get right using your engine management system, your management accounts. So that's the fuel cycle. Then you've got your engine going. You've got to get up in the air. That was the whole point. You need a wing. Until now, most business owners have hired in a hurry, just got bums on seats. Anyone will do. Hired in a hurry. What they realize, they've got an upside down wing. If you've got rubbish people, it's like going along the runway and your wing will drive you down into the ground. You've got average people, average profile people. You'll just use lots of time, money and energy going along the runway, never getting anywhere. With the right profile people or the right profile wing, then you get lift and can take off and grow. So that's the quality of staff, the right number of staff and and your HR and leadership processes that help you control the staff or not control, but influence appropriately. Then finally, you've got the captain in the cockpit. That's your plans and your your goals, your KPIs, your targets that help you know if you're on track or off track. So that's the 17 key bits people see as a system and can see the interrelationships. So ta-da, that's the business jet engine summarized. But it's also the journey of so many small business owners. And it takes 10 years to get good at all of those. If they're lucky. It does. I mean, and the fact, the way that you've explained it is absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely brilliant because all of those things are things that you do need. And when you first start in business, and I would be the first to admit this, I couldn't sell my way out of a paper bag. Um, yeah. um, I'm not sure if I can now because I think I, the services that we provide as a business are a, a distress purchase. So you yeah. are you are either distressed enough to really want them or you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not necessarily really a hard sell. The fact is, is that the harder you need to sell it, the more I know that you don't want it. So that it, <laughs> it, or you're just not concerned. It doesn't bother you. So it's an easier thing. I mean, if I was selling, you know, um, widgets or whatever it was that I was selling as a business business owner it would make it much harder to a certain extent to sell things and I see people on LinkedIn for example trying to sell things that they've got no business selling it doesn't make any sense because they're just completely selling it to the wrong person and as opposed to number one finding out exactly where and who they should be selling it to people are still using the scattergun approach i take it that the 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 business jet engine discourages that scattergun approach uh, absolutely i mean there's there's businesses that i start working with who are who are doing quite well but know they could be doing a lot better there are businesses that are really struggling and and then we have to go back a step to to look at the fundamental business model and increasingly as the world's getting more complex and changing faster uh, I'm encouraging my clients that we review their their business model at least once a year just to make sure it's 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 still on on target. And so the simple way I describe checking a business model again, I like using circles and intersects. Imagine one circle. That's what you're great at, passionate about problems you're great at solving, but you have edge. You have something that gives you that edge over the competition, makes you unique. 
So there's what you love to solve and are better than others at doing. That's one circle. The second circle is the problems your customers have, want, need, and will pay to have solved. So you've got to find the intersect, which is kind of what you're describing with some of those offers on LinkedIn. Nobody actually needs, wants, or will pay for that. And then the third circle, it's got to be mutually appropriate or mutually winning pricing. You've got to be selling it at a price that makes you a profit, but also at a price that customers are getting great value because where it gets them to is worth so much more than what you're charging. And when you get those three circles thought through, you have a viable business model just where it intersects. So we talked a bit earlier about the relationship with systems and you were kind enough to explain how the business jet engine works. I'm going to put forward uh, a couple of words, chat GPT. <laughs> and see where that takes us. I think, I think really, I mean, there's a lot of fear, understandably, because it's going to rapidly change our world as we know it. And I think the other is, is unpredictable. We do, we are only scratching the surface. I think there's huge opportunities. I think there's huge opportunities to, like all automation to remove tedious work. I remember in my design days when CAD came in and we were all terrified computers were going to remove designers until we realized what a powerful tool it was to free us up to be more creative and to, to speed the, the design process. Things that would take 10 years to get into production, we could get into production in a year, which was actually hugely freeing because a lot of products died before they got to market because the world had changed. So I'm hoping, just like all automation, that the software you're talking about, artificial intelligence, will free us up to do the more strategic high value tasks and free us from the low value sort of grunt work, if you like. That's my hope, but I don't think we really know. And I think for all of us, it's exciting. And there's also a huge degree of anxiety. What, what might it mean? Because we're having to adapt at such a rate these days, many of us are struggling to keep up. I think you're so right. And the points that you make are pretty much spot on. I think chat gpt especially for smaller businesses if you've got a micro business chat gpt is a godsend it literally gives you a, a a robot you can call him terry or something giving you so much access to knowledge so much access to uh, another way of thinking and you know not all of it's right you know you have to um as my mother used to say use your discretion mm. You should be aware of that. Some of it's brilliant and some of it's absolutely rubbish. You mean just like talking to a human? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah exactly. Don't, don't talk to the guy in, in the pub who sits there drinking pints night after night and then tells you that he's an entrepreneur and he's, he runs multiple businesses and he's a CEO. Yeah, you might not want to believe him. <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more. I totally understand why a lot of people have the anxiety, but it's also pretty brilliant. There's one particular website that I saw, which is a great one. And what it does is it allows you to create a startup web page, just a single one, one pager that allows you to test out your idea to see if it's got legs. Fantastic. I think you can do maybe one, two or three for a very small price or a, a very low premium. But really, it's great to try something out as opposed to once upon a time when you had a business and you had a bricks and mortar business, you'd open up shop, you would hire staff, you would get, get an accountant, you'd get a front of house if it was a restaurant, and then 
six weeks later, you'd find that there was no desire for your Tibetan soul food. And you, you'd find yourself in a position where you hadn't sold anything, but you had to close everything down and call in insolvency practitioners and so on and so forth. Whereas if you're doing something online, if it works, it works. You scale up. If it doesn't, you shut it down. Yeah, yeah. I'm also a huge believer in, in testing and prototyping. So it's how do we, with you know, minimal risk, as quickly, cheaply, and simply test an idea. Um, so I'm still an, a, a fan that even if something's online, we just go and talk to a few people and see, do their eyes light up with excitement? A few relevant people. Because if they don't, if we can't face-to-face cause someone to feel excited about our business proposition, it's going to be even harder to do it online. So I, I just love quick and dirty tests. And the more we can do that in business, trial things simply, um, I think the, the, the less mistakes we're going to make. Do you think that some business owners, and especially entrepreneurs, we tend to be driven by emotion. If we feel good about a particular subject, we think everybody else is going to love it. Uh, yes, we do. And I think there's upsides and downsides to that. I think as humans, we need to be absolutely in touch with our emotions. But yes, we can, we can get too sold ourselves and, and we have to get feedback. We, we have to find out, does our audience like, appreciate, want what we're offering? We have to. Indeed. Indeed. And what I wanted to come back to is you've entitled your business and your book, The Business Jet Engine. Which came first, the book or the business name? The, the, the model evolved first. And I was using it with my clients and they were sort of saying, I mean, I remember for me, it was when a very experienced business owner and he had he had quite a, a large team, about 30, 40 people in a factory. He'd been in the game a long time, he said, and he turned to me and said, I wish I had this 10 years ago. And that, that's when I really knew I had something that, that was valuable. And other business owners were saying how much they loved it, enjoyed it. So it didn't really have a name then. I didn't call it that. But the metaphor had, had evolved. So the name of the idea sort of evolved. And then when I decided to put it into a book, that's when I had to crystallize it and, and settle on a name. And then the online membership came out of that. The book came first, absolutely. Indeed. And writing the book, the whole other story. I uh, well, that's what I wanted to come on to because we had a lovely lady here, um, uh, Joanna Godoin, and um, she is pretty amazing. I'm a big fan, a big fan of hers. And she has done some great work in working with people within organizations from CEOs to executives and people who want to work their way through the corporate ladder and navigate work generally. And when she told me she was writing a book, I thought, oh, this is exciting. And then when she actually delivered the book, she was kind enough to come on this show and share that information with us. And I'm expecting to hear sort of glorious tales of, oh, you know, I've written this book and, and which she, she does, you know, concede that it was a good thing to do. But she didn't make it out to be a bed of roses. And I get the funny feeling that you might be saying the same that type of thing. It almost killed me writing my book. Yeah. It took a huge amount out of me. It's, I mean, I enjoy writing. And for clients, I write a lot of one-page, two-page handouts to simplify ideas so they can remember them. But writing a, a however many pages, 200, 300 pages my book is, it wasn't like doing two to 300 one-page handouts because it has to hang together very, very differently. And I spent a year, I would say, learning how not to get a book written. I, I had crafted out the structure. I'd done a lot of the overarching thinking, but I just wasn't getting it written. And, and in the end, I had to start 
carving huge amounts of time out of my day-to-day work to get it written and get it done. I actually took some three weeks where I took myself abroad and, and totally spent every day focused on getting the meat of the book written. But it then, I, I think I did six re-edits, rewrites, and that was even using an editor. And even then being a bit of a, a perfectionist, I still kind of wrote it three more times till I was happy with the final results. So it took a year figuring how not to get it done and then another year to actually get it done. Um, but it took a supreme effort. And and the thing with most strategic goals, they take time, money, energy that's not readily available. You have to either have built up reserves or find it from somewhere. And I had to, you know, take time out of my day-to-day coaching and make some sacrifices, including weekends, to get that done. So I think a lot of strategic goals, that's what stops many of us accomplishing the big shifts that we want because it does take that extra time, money, energy. We've got to find it somewhere to go up a whole new level. And you also mentioned really a society issue in terms of your book, but you talk a lot about diagnosing your business. Yeah. And I wanted to know if you could share that with the Cashflow crew. What does that mean for entrepreneurs? With pleasure. So with all problem solving, most people, when they're not properly trained in problem solving, they, they see there's a problem. And they go, oh, I know the solution. And they put that in place. Now, that's skipping a few stages in proper problem solving, because the first stage of proper problem solving is to really understand the problem you're trying to solve, to understand the dynamics of the system and go, where are we? Where are we headed that's negative or positive? What's the history that's led us to where we are? What do we see as the obstacles or challenges in the way? And only then should we get into trying to come up with solutions and options. But most people go, I see a problem, jump into solution, implement. So first, we we want to ask all sorts of questions about what is the problem? What's really working or not working? And where do we want to go with it? The second stage is to come up with the options. The third is to, to analyze and choose our best solution, then implement. And if that if that hasn't worked, we reiterate and come back to redefining. So really, in terms of the business jet engine, to diagnose their business, I use the systems map and I get business owners to score those 17 areas. I get them to score where they're weak or strong out of 10. So we have a score against different parts of their system. And then we can look at those scores and go, if we were to fix, change or improve just one score this year, which would have the biggest knock-on impact? And that really forces us to think differently. So that's what I mean by diagnosing the problems. You know, is, is get that system and, and look at where we're really weak or strong, but also against our business model. Where do we want to be in a year's time and how well set up are we to achieve that? And that's how we score ourselves. So we've gone from finding out about the way that the business jet engine was started, you writing your book, telling us all about your initial dealings with toothbrushes. Now we're going to get a little bit more personal, but just to talk about you as an individual, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who will know about your design background and obviously your interest in performance speakers and performance coaches, but they want to know about you as an individual. So we're going to move on to the section called What Are You Like? Mm-hmm. where we talk about the books, the movies, the box sets, the records and things that you enjoy, which will probably be coming up in conversation when you meet people at events that you go to in the near future. So we're going to start off with your favourite book. You've put down The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Yeah. 
What's the significance? It's a super heavy read. And when I read it, I, I had to have a dictionary by me. It was before we had broadband, so you'd have to dial up on the internet to look things up. So a dictionary was quicker. Joseph Campbell was a mythologist, and he studied all the great myths, fairy tales, legends, religious stories. And he looked for the common themes. And he came, because I've always questioned what's life about, and I was lo always looking for the answer. And I came across some of his articles and thought, this man might have the answer. So I got his book. And, and he kind of laid out, like I've decoded the journey of the, the average business person, he decoded the common journey of man or mankind, what we go through in life trying to find meaning and, and overcome adversity. It's commonly known in Hollywood as the hero's journey. And you'll find that most movies follow that script, that basic script of, of attempts to overcome adversity, which normally kicks off with a, a point of no return. Something happens that means the hero has to go forward, the hero or heroine. They can't go back from there. So in a situation, there is no way back. They have to overcome some huge hurdles. And, and it's that story of trying to overcome it. And, and I love the way he sets it out. It's also I find really fascinating. He was mentor to George Lucas, who did Star Wars. Ah. <laughs> and that resonates so deeply with many of us because there's those common themes. And also in part of that, you know, is often the reference that there's something deeper, some greater force that's there in Harry Potter too. You know, that there's there's magic, that there's some greater force at play in life that helps us on on that journey to uh, and part of the round, and I'm oversimplifying, but I, I love this stuff. So <laughs> excuse me if I get a bit carried away. No, go for it. There are three main rounds or objectives. The first round in life is to realize we are at one with or equal to our parents, which make, basically means we become our own person. You know, we meet the girl, we meet the boy, we become man and wife. We become one at one and atonement at one moment. So we now create our own rules, not living by our parents' rules. The second round is we become at one with or equal to society we are no longer bound by society's rules again we think for ourselves and we start to create our own rules for what is life about and how we believe we should live and then the third round is the spiritual round where we realize we're at one with and equal to god or whatever greater power whatever force you believe in you re realize you are at one with that force we're all made of the same energy and that's kind of what Star Wars was all about, was, you know, being mentored into those different those different rounds and becoming one with the force. Um, and you see this in so many movies at different levels, either, you know, the first, second or the, the third achievement. Um, so I love that kind of explanation. This is what we're trying to do. It's a journey from dependency to responsibility, to being able to own our future and create our future, to co-create our future with the force or whatever you might believe in. So I, I love that stuff. That, when Joseph Campbell laid that out for me, I went, wow, that's the big picture on the big jigsaw box. Yeah. So that's why that's my favorite book. Excellent. Brilliant. So you've got a few, as expected, a few favorite business books here. So I'm going to go through them um, uh, briefly, and then you can pick out the things that you think are important. So you've got Smart Things to Know About Strategy by Richard Koch, or Koch or Koch. Um, yep, you're uh, as good as I am with that pronunciation. Uh, yeah, I think it might be Koch as far as um, yep. um, uh, as the, I think, uh, the Americanization of the pr pronunciation. The Fifth Discipline, The Art and Practice of the Learning Organization by Peter M. Senge. Yep. Execution, The Discipline of Getting Things Done by Larry Bossidy and Ram Sharan. 
and your most recent ones are the ultimate blueprint for an insanely successful business by Keith J. Cunningham. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we have to give a nod to your own book, which obviously we, <laughs> we preface earlier, The Business Jet Engine, which is the simplest guide to boosting your business by yourself. Well, I had to throw that in very unmodern. If there's any place that you can be yourself, you can be yourself on the cash flow show. And that's what we want. So out of all those books, obviously, you've got smart things to know about strategy. Give us a brief overview of what you feel about that. Yeah, that's the one I touched on earlier that introduced the 80-20 rule and really simplified down for me the core things to think about the idea of having competitive advantage that if you didn't have edge don't compete that was a wake-up moment that was the first book on business i started to read properly then as i say fifth discipline introduced like the idea of systems thinking the ultimate blueprint i really like because that really helped give me confidence as a coach in pushing my clients harder to have their management accounts, their, as he calls it, their optics, the visibility of the financials of the business. I haven't read it. It's on my list. Profit First is another one hugely popular with, with clients and friends and, and contacts that help get businesses focused on their financials. Because I'm sure you know, so many small business owners are scared of their numbers. Numbers are scary, especially if you don't work in a numbers environment full stop. And sometimes numbers can be bloody depressing. <laughs> They can. But what I found is the trick is the more scared the business owner of their numbers, the more I simplify them and use very crude averages. But it's amazing how it helps us see the wood for the tree. So very simply, you know, say like coming up with sales, you know, I'll say to people, well, you know, what's your average sale? Well, you know, we sell something from five pounds to 10,000 pounds, Martin. How can I say? So I, I say, well, look, if I forced you, you know, is your average sale one pound or one million? Well, no. Okay. So is it more like 500 pounds if you averaged everything out? Well, actually, that's not far off. Make it 550 or 600. So, you know, we can say, actually, if we had to choose one average price for our product, and then I go, okay, so how many of those do you have to sell in a month to achieve your targets, to achieve your financial goals? Oh, well, about 10 or 20. And suddenly we've got a much simpler business model. And there may be three bandings that we separate that into. You know, there's the 700-pound product, the 200-pound product, and the 50-pound product. And we go, how many of those each month do you have to sell roughly, even though you may have bespoke some variations, just roughly if they sat in band bandings? And then they start to think with confidence about their numbers going, oh, actually, that's quite achievable. If I put my effort here and get those 700-pound sales up, I only need three more this month and I can hit my targets. Indeed. That's what my whole business needs to focus on for the next quarter is how do we sell three more a month and then suddenly we're, you know, comfortable again. Yeah. And then we can improve other things once we've got that comfortable. Brilliant. So simple averages, I, I find a huge way of helping people out. So we're going to move on now to your favorite album or single, and you've chosen a few, but I'm going to run through them. And what we'll then do is then we'll concentrate on anything that particularly stick out. So you've got Shallow Bed by Dry the River. Yep. A British folk band. I'd never heard of them before. So I always have to do research for these things and I'm always intrigued to hear new music. So they were new to me. You've got Love and Hate by Michael Kiwanuka. I'm a 21st century Bill Withers, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but a very distinctive uh, voice and a very distinctive style and obviously a uh, very successful at the same time. You've picked one of my favourites, um, Song for My Father by Horace Silver, 
which is a jazz standard and on the Blue Note label. Fantastic record. A lot of people have um, heard that. If you've ever heard Ricky Don't Lose That Number by Steely Dan, (laughs) (laughs) you will notice that there is a striking similarity between those two. And then it's the wrong song. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting for some for my father. (laughs) Indeed. Now, you then also have Sibelius Symphony Number no. 3 by Sir Simon Rattle. And I've got a Sir Simon Rattle story. Many years ago, I used to work as a, a lawyer, local authority lawyer in Hackney Council. And I used to um, work with a chap called Steve Lomas, who was a massive Frank Zappa fan and a massive modern classical music fan. And at that time, um, yeah, I was a dashing young blade and I knew a lot about R&B and soul and funk and reggae and pop, but not much about Zappa and not much about Sir Simon Rattle. And obviously um, Simon Rattle, even this is, I'm talking early 90s, he sort of developed this reputation of being uh, the cornerstone of some modern classical music. So I wanted to know why you chose him as a as a particular um, uh, recording. Well, he's he's a his int- I, I love that piece of music anyway, and they're very recordings. But he the slow movement in particular, it's the pace he does it. It suddenly makes sense, and and that's what I love as as a conductor for him to realise. This is what it should sound like. And it transforms the piece of music completely. Um, so that's why I've chosen that one. Just him conducting it, it suddenly comes alive and, and it, it makes sense to me and resonates with me in a totally different way than any other recording I've heard. So it's just a beautiful piece of music. I want it at my funeral. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. They're just, uh, they've got a note of it now, just in case. I hope that's a, yep. not a, a long, long, long way away. So at least <laughs> they'll get an idea then. So you've also chosen some great films in a box set. So the films you've chosen are American Beauty, which is one of the breakout films for Kevin Spacey. The Matrix, uh, Keanu Reeves, um, a fantastic mm. and very, very influential film. And The World's Fastest Indian with Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Um, and you've also chosen a box set, Better Call Saul. Yeah. Yeah. What, any reasons for those choices? Well, well, let's, let's pick them off quickly. Uh, so American Beauty, I mean, it, it's a song about the midlife crisis. I've been through it. I've worked with many people who go through that midlife crisis. You know, they realize the dissatisfaction, the alienation. It's an early Sam Mendes movie. Yeah. Um, and it's just so clever. It's so artistically made and it's so wittily written. There are just fantastic one-liners. I watch it every two or three years and know the lines as they come. And if you can ever get the, uh, the directors cut with the, um, the commentary by Sam Mendes, it is just so worth listening to. So that's a fantastic movie about that midlife crisis. Um, the Matrix, it's the hero's journey all over again. You know, it's nothing but the first movie is just a, a stylish classic. It's it's brilliant. Uh, what was the next one? The World's Fastest Indian. It's just a fantastic feel-good movie. Anthony Hopkins plays an old boy from New Zealand who's got a dream of getting a... Uh, a land speed record on his old motorcycle. And it's just how he, he is so positive in the fact he's going to get there and get a record. And he basically charms his way to, to the States and enlists, you know, he just develops such affection around him. But it's so one, it's the, just that positivity. 
but it's to how we need help around us. We need to engage the right people to help us. And he does it with such charm and such innocence. Um, it's just a beautiful, you know, if you want a Sunday afternoon, a Sunday evening, feel good movie, it's so gentle. And I'm a, I'm a, a motorbiker myself. So uh-huh. I kind of like that, like that side of it. It's just a lovely movie. Just, just super. Excellent. Better call Saul. Very clever psychology. I mean, it, it just captures so many salient points. I mean, I'm very into psychology um, at, at a deep level. It, it's just a fantastic script, but but the psychology behind it, where there's two brothers, one who is the highly successful brother, and the, the main character, Saul, um, is the younger brother who who takes up the naughty boy position because he has the good brother, he can't compete. And so it's, it's really how he self-sabotages his way through life and every time he actually has an amazing break how he can't really help but sabotage that and we keep hoping he's going to come good in the end and i won't do any um spoilers but but that's why i got so hooked on it because you just hope you just hope he's going to take the next break because they he, he he creates them yeah is he going to actually let this one run with the success he's created or is he going to self-sabotage again <laughs> <laughs> excellent thank you for that <laughs> So moving on from Better Call Saul and the rest of your selections, you mentioned sabotage. Yeah. And I wanted to then apply that to business owners. And Mm. how often do you see business owners self-sabotage? Well, don't we all? Yes. Don't don't we all? And I think I can sum it up. I I try and take complex things and, and make them simple. And Really, we, we could simplify it to call it distraction. We, we avoid what we fear and we distract ourselves with what we know we can win at. So for example, a, a new business owner working for themselves will probably spend more time making tea toast and putting on the washing <laughs> than writing their business plan or their marketing plan because they've never done it before and they're terrified. So they go and get a quick win. We go and do what we think we can win at, which is the easy distractionary techniques. And that's really how most business owners sabotage themselves is they avoid what they're afraid of and go for the easy wins and sidetrack themselves into the easy project, the easy marketing, just whatever comes easy and they're already succeeding at than than just developing a new skill, um, tackling a project they've never done or calling in help, particularly men. We're so bad at asking for help. Oh, oh, we're terrible. We're terrible. And I've learned that in business. It's like even when we've dealt with a late payments and debt recovery, women will call and say, Clayton, can you fix this? Men will just, oh, no, we're just going to get another loan. <laughs> yeah, I've got it. I've got it. Yeah. And and thankfully, you know, a, a little while ago, business coaching changed that people felt very stigmatized if they needed a big business coach. And when we had the double dip, there was a lot of funding and the government pushed business coaching and a lot of people realized it was a good thing. So we have seen a, 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 a sea change on that, but but still there is that stigma that if we need help, somehow we've failed. Whereas great sports people, they nearly all have a coach. Of course, all the way th- all the way through their career until the very end. Andy Murray's still got coaches, and he's yep. still changing coaches, you know, yep. in order to help boost his performance. So it's a very interesting concept. We're coming towards the end of our show. And what I wanted to ask was, what's happening for you? Because obviously, you've got your book, The Business Jet Engine, available on Amazon and other fine stores. But we don't want you to go to Amazon. We want you to go to Hive, 
because they're an independent bookseller and we want to support those people. So go on to the Hive link that we're going to have in the show notes, support Martin via that link so you can help another business owner somewhere else. Right, that's the public service announcement for today. But you've got some other things that you can help businesses with. You've been really kind in sharing your stories, your anecdotes, your philosophies. What are the other things that people can get access to to get a, a feel for what you do and then hopefully maybe work with you in the future? Absolutely. Well, the, the first is if they go to the Business Jet Engine website, businessjetengine.co.uk, um, there's a button that says free tools and they can download a simple interactive toolkit, I call it, which shows them, introduces them to the business jet engine. And there's some sort of as, as an explainer video and they'll get a couple of emails guiding them through how to have a go at using it. So that's a fantastic sort of free resource that that's there there for them. Um, the other thing is, is anybody who who would like some more direct help, there's the, the jet club which is my online business membership for small business owners. And that's what I'm really so promoting at the moment. Um, we are, uh, we're developing the process with our founding members. And during the summer, at some point, I will open it again to, to members. So people can join the, the wait list now and make sure they're at the front of the queue when uh, we open it up to more people. So that's a highly affordable, highly accessible way of a lot of small business owners getting access, one, to my method, but also to to coaching that might otherwise be out of reach. Great. So where can people find you on the internet via the socials, et cetera, et cetera? I'm on most of the, the channels, but really I'm most active on LinkedIn and over time putting more on YouTube. But if they go to the Business Jet Engine website on the homepage at the bottom, there's a link to all those socials. So that's that probably the simplest way than trying to write it all down is just remember businessjetengine.co.uk. Go to the homepage at the bottom of the social links. Thank you for that. That's absolutely brilliant. So someone listening to this and saying to themselves, if they're a new listener or if they're part of the cash flow crew, they'd be thinking, is this a good time to start a business? And what would your thoughts and what would your words of inspiration be? There's always a good time to start a business if you get the fit right, the basic business model, because there's always a transfer of money. There's always someone making money in any market. And it's really, do you have a product or service you offer where you've got edge, you're better and more passionate at solving that problem than most, and you can identify there are people with that need who have the money to spend on it now? And that's the real question. Do the people you would be selling to, do they have the money? Do, do they value what you're offering now? in the current climate and then can you sell it at a price that they think is great value because of what they get in exchange so there's always that opportunity and that's what you know when people say pivot that's what they should be saying is look at that those three circles again and check the fit excellent so martin riley founder of the business jet engine and author of the business jet engine book thank you for joining us on the cash flow show absolute pleasure thank you for having me clayton you're most welcome We've come to the end of the cash flow show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really 
really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for Real People, Real Business, Real Talk.